the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. One of the great dangers in reading the miracles of Jesus is the misconception that Jesus' mission is to solve our problems. As modern people, the feverish love of problem-solving and question-answering are so ingrained in our cultural atmosphere that it is almost impossible to underscore how far outside the ancient understandings of the world and the life of faith they will draw us if they remain unchecked. Our horizon for anticipating God's work to be fulfilled can become short-sighted, and that will obscure the larger work of salvation until our perspective is drawn out again from the desperate sense of immediacy that threatens to possess each of our moments of need. This conflict of expectations and the inadequacy of the world's responses to human need is on display in the gospel lesson. The inciting cause is the matter of the ruler's dead daughter and his request of Jesus to come and raise her to life. The whole lesson revolves around a journey, the journey the official makes to Jesus, and having found him, the journey that they make together back to his daughter. It is only at the end of the lesson that we see what this ruler left in order to seek Christ the trappings of a Jewish funeral were in full tilt. The mourners' assessment of the situation was that all there was left to do now was to bury the girl. But something had moved this father beyond the seeming inevitability of that moment to go and find Jesus, the fresh sight of his dead daughter and the sense of futility surely pacing his every step along the way. Unlike other healings in the Gospels, though, Jesus' response is not immediate. We know that he could have raised the girl instantly by his word, regardless of the distance, as he had healed the child of the ruler of Capernaum. But this time, he goes with the official and journeys back to his house with him. He conforms his journey to the official, and in doing so, conforms the official to a new way of walking with him, to that of this quiet group that was lingering in the background of the whole gospel lesson, almost unnoticeable, the band of disciples, who in the lesson just follow and watch what Jesus does next. Along the way, Jesus heals the woman who had been plagued, by a grievous chronic illness for years, and overtly cites her faith as the source of her healing. In St. Matthew's framing of this story, which appears in multiple Gospels, this seems as much for her and her benefit as it does for the official, as a sign of Jesus' own authority over infirmity and death, and an invitation to be encouraged to see and to believe. Now, for the official, there were two visions, the recent memory of his own dead girl, and also a fully grown and fully restored and fully faithful woman. 
And it is in the conflict of these visions that they returned to be challenged again by the mourners, committed as they were to the bitter reality of death, and so mocking of Jesus' words of a hope that she could rise. The last test of the father was to push past the resilient despair of his own community and welcome Jesus into his home where he raises his daughter to life. We are at the end of Trinity Tide. This long liturgical season is over. We turn now to Advent and its meditation on the final things of death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Advent comes to end our time, as surely as the Lord himself at his second coming, to consummate the kingdom and to raise the dead. We've had 24 weeks of following Christ through the gospel lessons. We've watched as he went about the work of declaring his kingdom, healing the sick, and raising the dead again and again. Like the official, we have been drawn out week after week from the desperate needs of our own lives to meet Christ every Sunday and to receive again his invitation to us to become disciples. Like the disciples, our role has been to look on Jesus' deeds and to believe in him as the Son of God. As we approach the end of the year now, we begin to see more clearly the ultimate purpose for the mission of God in Christ, to do nothing less than to make all things new. But like the official, it is here at the end that we are confronted with the most intense temptations from those things and people we left behind to make our journey to and with Jesus. Endings are fraught with the allure of desperation and despair. These false ends always present us again with the opportunity to turn back from the true end of our journey. Surely, as the girl was dying, prayers and remedies were sought with mounting anxiousness and desperation for her sake and with the desire being for her immediate recovery. This is that horizon of immediate expectation, of problems that should always have solutions and questions that should always have answers. When nothing happens within that framework, though, the alternative is to despair, to settle into a lament and loss of hope. If it didn't happen here and now, we're tempted to think, it cannot happen anywhere or ever. But as in the gospel lesson, Jesus is found just beyond the immediacy of anxious desperation, and he is always undeterred by the resilience of despair. The way that he works often challenges our demand for a solution or answer as we would have it or ask for it. But the way he works also bridles our commitment to despondency. He means to draw us beyond the inadequacies of both dead ends and onto a path of faithfulness that in time 
reveals his goodwill to bring about for each of us a renewal of life. As we approach the end of the liturgical year, the tendencies of desperation and despair may beset us again. Perhaps we did not see the extraordinary spiritual growth we set out to attain during Lent and Easter. Perhaps we experienced only a sense of dryness or even regression in our habits of prayer or in our pursuit of holiness. Perhaps we find in our hearts the creeping sense that maybe there's just no point to this. Maybe we're just fooling ourselves. Maybe everything as we know it just is what it is. But then there's Jesus again, who waits for us there at that moment of decision and calls us beyond the dismal ends that we can see to the glorious end just beyond our sight. He is going to raise the dead, even if, like the official, we don't quite know it yet. And our call is to walk with him as he goes to do this work, to believe that he can and that he wills to do this. He means to transfigure the anxiousness and the deepest longings of our hearts into a confident expectation that watches to see how he will make all things new. Like the official, whatever grief or sense of hopelessness that attends us can become the first step of again becoming Christ's disciples. It's for us then to say no to both demand and despair, to watch attentively and to wait patiently for Jesus Christ to save us. The end of the Christian year teaches us that we must say yes to nothing short of the true resurrection and the life of the world to come that we profess in the creed every day. Endings put in view the paths that led to them. And that's true for us gathered in this room this morning. These have not been an easy two years, have they? We have all had to say goodbye to people and to things that were very central to our lives. Our world has tempted us with appeals to power, to immediacy, to quick fixes that at times drew lines through our own community and even set us against one another. We have all had to shoulder the burden of finding meaning amid a great deal of loss. And it has been real, and it has been heavy. But in all of this, even so, I've been encouraged in my own dark nights because I have seen so many of you not give way. You've instead sought Jesus himself to guide you into the new life of the resurrection. You have committed your lives to him in prayer, to abide in his love, to follow him quietly, and for many, very anonymously, to watch for him, to keep his promises. And I want you to hear me say this, that God has seen you, and that with God there is no such thing as wasted pain, 
and there is no fruitless labor of love. My exhortation for you then is that you persevere to the true end with the joy of the Lord being your strength. For I have every confidence that as surely as he raised the official's daughter, he will raise up in you the fruit of good, of good things in your life through both consolation and desolation alike. And that in the end, he will raise you up to eternal life on the last day. Thus with St. Paul, I do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.